Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. Each week, we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy. Plus, you can earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so let us bring the learning to you. Click on Claim CE Credit in the show notes below. Now let's welcome your host, Jeff Wall, as he discusses this week's clinical practice game changers. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome to the show. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, we want to welcome you. Uh, hopefully, we give you guys information that you can uh, kind of bring to the bedside. We try to focus on pharmacotherapy stuff and, and the latest papers, latest guidelines, latest information from regulatory bodies that, you know, really you can, can get in quickly and can really translate to, to how you do at the bedside and, and improve the care of the patients that you see. And that's really kind of our goal here at Game Changers Clinical Conversations. Today, we are going to be talking about, uh, we always try to, to, to take a look at stuff that that has a lot of lay press coverage. And this is definitely one of these papers that is hot off the press from the Annals of Internal Medicine, um, a paper looking at the use of metformin in males, not females. And again, this is one of the things that caused a lot of people to kind of take a, a second look at this paper. But they looked at preconception anti-diabetic drugs in men and birth defects in their offspring. So not in women, but in men. And that's kind of interesting in and of itself. This was done in, in Denmark and, and, and we'll talk about, well, you know, how they can do those kind of studies in, in Europe, but it was, you know, kind of an interesting study to go through. And it did, as I said, mention, get, get a lot of lay press. It was on, you know, Good Morning America and a lot of, you know, you know, news sites and stuff like that, you know, with people saying, well, maybe you shouldn't be taking met, you know, foreman if you're, you know, a man and planning to have, planning to have children. And so you may say to yourself, well, gee, you know, how many men who are planning on having children or even on metformin. Well, the, the number, maybe it's not that a big surprise to you, is going up as the uh, type 2 diabetes epidemic continues to expand. We're seeing younger and younger men and women who are developing type 2 diabetes in their 30s and sometimes even in their 20s. And uh, we're just seeing that more and more as, as, as an outcropping of the obesity epidemic. So I think you know, you're right. Probably 25 years ago, the odds of someone being on metformin who is a guy who was likely to have children was probably relatively low, but those numbers are actually going up. And so it it is actually a very important clinical question. And then, of course, the other piece is that there's tons and tons of case reports and case studies and even sometimes some, some large studies looking at, at drug exposure in the female and birth defects. And, you know, any pharmacist listening know that's, that's you know, we wouldn't, would not survive those questions without people like uh, Gerald Briggs, who gets his, amasses all that information in a gigantic textbook that comes out every couple of years that gives us those as best answers as we can. But there's very little data on men. And so it becomes, you know, an even more interesting question that, you know, can drug uh, exposure in men before uh, conception uh, lead to problems um, down, down the road. Now, this study is, they hasten to point out that in and of itself, diabetes is associated with poor fetal outcomes and including offspring birth defects. And we, and in pregnant women, they say poorly regulated diabetes associated with, with actually numerous adverse pregnancy outcomes, including major birth defects. And so of course, in women, we've always known that we want to aggressively can control their blood glucose levels. But again, we have very little data on male fertility. Now the drug they particularly uh, commented, they looked at actually several classes of drugs, but the drug they call out in this paper is metformin. As we know, metformin for 30 years now has been, has been one of the first 
first line agents for, for uh, type 2 diabetes. They note that, in, that, that metformin actually improves semen parameters. You can insert your joke there. I'm not really sure what that means. In obese men, I would assume it means you know, motility and things like that. But it also reduces serum testosterone levels independently of glycemic control, which is uh, something I did not know about metformin. And they, they point that out in the paper. And so their argument is that given its non-neutral effect on male reproductive potential, the fact that you know, we're seeing younger and younger people being put on metformin and they may actually have kids, it, it's, it is absolutely reasonable to see if we can do a study to see if there's, there's a, a, an association between metformin use and, and harm in the fetus. And so, again, the study was done in Denmark. As most of you know, you know most of these studies tend to be done in, in European countries where they have socialized medicine and they just have very, very robust databases and pharmacovigilance uh, systems. And so, I mean, you know, when you only have one person to go to, they're able to collect all that information very, very nicely. And so this was a nationwide prospective registry-based cohort study. So I actually looked at, at the, the databases that, that the Danish government has and keeps that uh, look at health. And, and they looked at the 1,255,772 births in Denmark from 1997 to 2006. So that was kind of their cohort they were looking at. They then tapped several of the large registries that are kept in Denmark. There's a medical birth registry that contains all registered pregnancies in Denmark from 20 weeks to gestation. It also provides pregnancy characteristics like gestational age and thus conception date because you can kind of figure, go backwards and figure that out and maternal smoking status, which is nice. They also have a patient registry that they looked from 1999 to mid 2018 that contains individual level diagnoses in the outpatient and inpatient settings, including birth defects. And so what they did was they, they looked at all pregnancies that had a baby, and then they looked for one year up to after the birth uh, to search for uh, birth defects in the database, which were classified to something called the EuroCAT guidelines. And EuroCAT stands for European Concerted Action on Congenital Anomalies and Twins. I looked it up, and it's basically just a standardized system for assessing and grading defects after birth, basically. They also looked at organ-specific subgroups of different types of abnormalities or defects that occurred after birth as well. And uh, they also looked at parental diagnoses retrieved it needed. And then they finally looked at a prescription registry. So we had the birth registry, the patient registry, and now a prescription registry that contains all prescriptions uh, redeemed, but not the reason for why they were pre uh, prescribed. So they do know who got what prescription and, you know, and what was filled for. But of course, they weren't able to assess, you know, adherence to those medications or anything along those lines. But they were able to say, okay, gee, you know, the patient A did pick up you know, metformin, patient B did pick up a sulfonylurea, whatever, I think along, along those lines. Um, they then had a statistics where they looked up things like socioeconomic variables, because you might imagine this is the kind of study that might have numerous, numerous confounders, um, including the age of the parents, uh, you know, any history of, of, of problems in the family previously, smoking, uh, alcohol, drug use, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, could all influence the outcome here. And so they wanted to take a look at, at a number of socioeconomic variables, um, including high education level achieved by both parents and uh, income levels as well. They did exclude births with mothers uh, using diabetic medication. So again, they really wanted to hone in on the impact of men and men taking antihyperglycemic medications. So they excluded births with mothers who had used diabetic medication or received a diabetes diagnosis, including gestational diabetes at any time uh, before giving birth. They uh, also excluded patients who had a diagnosis of hypertension at any time before birth um, and any uh, mother 
mother who was prescribed a cardiovascular drug at all during the six months up to conception. So I think they really did a good job of trying to narrow in on just men and the impact that, that men, men would have. And then they designed a model that I'll admit was pretty complex. I had to read the paper a couple times to kind of figure out what, what, what they were doing, but it stands to reason when you're doing these kind of really complex cohort studies that you've got to account for all the different confounders. And so what they did was you have an exposure variable, right? So, you know, what, you know, what are they going to consider in exposure? And for the, for the purposes of this study, they considered any father of a baby who filled a prescription for a diabetes drug during the three months prior to conception was considered exposed. And it wasn't just metformin they looked at, they looked at metformin, they looked at insulins, and they looked at sulfonylureas. There were very small numbers of other drugs, including the GP1, GLP-1 drugs and the DPP-4 inhibitors, but the numbers were so small that they really couldn't get any information. So uh, and I think that has to do with, with how long the study went on and, and how far back they looked. And so, as you might imagine, the three big medications they were able to look at just based on numbers were metformin, sulfonylureas, and insulin. Primary outcome was a diagnosis of one or more major birth defects in that first year of life. So you had or hadn't following these Eurocat guidelines. They also looked at a, a, a numerous secondary outcomes, including the, uh, the sex of the offspring at birth, uh, the diagnosis of one or more major uh, birth defects in the first year of life. So was it you know just one or was it more than one? And those were kind of the big, the big outcomes. And as I said before, the statistics were, were pretty complex. Um, they're going to have to come up with some sort of model, and usually it's a logistic regression analysis or something along those lines, that they're going to have to input a number of variables that would also account for uh, abnormal births or births with, with defects associated with them. And so the statistics were compl somewhat complex. Add to that, um, they noticed that in the databases they were looking at, uh, about 15% of observations were, were either um, entire uh, had min entries that were missing, and uh, they were in things that include things like maternal smoking status, which absolutely could play a role in the development of birth defects. So to kind of deal with all that, they came up with kind of a complex package of statistical analyses that use multiple imputations. So they just did multiple models over and over again, looking at different plugins for these missing observations. So, you know, if all of, of all the missing ones smoked, if half of them smoked, if some of them smoked, if none of them smoked, they looked at all that to account for some of these confounders. They also looked at different time periods of exposure. So, you know, six months of exposure of, of an anti-diabetic drug prior to it, uh, uh, three months, one year year prior to, and also to kind of test what was going on afterwards, they took a look at exposure after the birth to, to see if, if there was anything that popped up there. They also, again, looked at, at, an, at a number of other confounders they put in a logistic regression analysis. And they also looked at different case series where the preconception period of the father or mother for each of her children is compared. So in other words, they looked at if someone had multiple children, they did an, an analysis with each child, whether or not the father was on metformin before the birth was done. So again, I think trying to scout out or sniff out any sort of other confounders that might pop up, including genetic factors, then that the way that you might be able to do that is if if, if there's a strong genetic factor for, for, for birth abnormalities, you know, yeah, that family would maybe likely to have them no matter what. And so if, if more than one child had that, that might be evidence that that, that supposed that. So again, very complex statistics. They, they tried, I think, diligently to come up with downfalls of their database by doing the imputation models and tried their best to deal with a number of confounders by doing this regression analysis and doing a number of different models to kind of look at different time factors of exposure, but pretty complex stuff. So as I mentioned, they had over a million records to look at because of that many births and the time, the time horizon they looked at. When they looked at those, the baseline incidence of major defects, again, according to this Eurocat guidance, was 3.3%. So about 36,000 patients.
patients in this gigantic cohort of one over 1 million births were listed as having a major defect. And there was a slight skewing male at 51.4% in this 1.1 million uh, records. Median ages of the mothers and fathers was 30 and 33. And, um, you know, again, this is something that's not going to be very common. So of those 1 million babies born, only 1,451 fathers were on metformin in that period prior to conception. So again, a very, very, very small percentage, right, considering the, the total numbers, but that's kind of what you would expect as well. Again, as I mentioned, also looked at men who were on insulin, uh, and they actually kind of considered overall uh, incidence of, of birth defects 3.3%. They consider that the baseline, basically, and then they used that that sex ratio of 51.4%. They considered that the, the kind of the, the, the baseline. So uh, what did they find with the, with the different uh, antihyperglycemic drugs? Well, insulin actually had a baseline birth defect rate and sex ratio that was exactly the same as the overall cohort. They 3.3% in the, in the insulin-exposed offspring and 51.4% male in the total of the cohort. So for all intents and purposes in, in, in this study, uh, insulin didn't seem to have any effect um, or association with, with problems or, or, or abnormalities at birth. Offsprings exposed to metformin or sulfonylureas had 5.2% chances of, of birth defects and 5.1% chance of birth defects, respectively. And so uh, both sulfonylureas and, and, and metformin um, uh, in, in just the general analysis had just basically an absolute number of birth defects that were higher than the general cohort, 5.2%, 5.1% versus 3.3%, and a slightly less sex ratio that favored men and actually favored women a little bit at 494 and 49.3%. So that's the, that's the base number. So now, as I said, now they're going to enter all this data in this gigantic uh, regression analysis. And when they did that in the main regression analysis, the odds ratio of having one or more birth defects was 0.98. Um, and that did not reach statistical significance for insulins, 1.40, and that did reach statistical significance for metformin, and 1.34, which did not reach statistical significance for sulfonylurea. So of the three drugs in the main regression analysis, only metformin was associated with uh, a 40% increased risk of developing major birth defects with a confidence interval of 1.08 to 1.82. So fairly narrow therapy uh, confidence intervals. But again, when you're looking at these kind of numbers, that doesn't really surprise me. They also did, again, again these multiple analysis. They looked at different time points when, when men were exposed to metformin and really found that they were similar for all the sensitivity analysis they, they found. They also found that metformin-exposed offspring, again, were slightly less male favored in the sex ratio 49.4% versus 51.4% in the reference group, which was statistically significant as well. The other thing they point out is just having the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, even when the patient was not uh, receiving metformin, was also associated with an elevated incidence of birth defect frequency, 4.6%. So keep that in mind as well. And they found that as far as timeline was concerned, that there was kind of a slow increase of risk up to one year of taking metformin in the father before the baby was born. And then as you might imagine, after the baby's born, the overall incidence of birth defects being born went back down to the baseline, basically. So in other words, the longer you were exposed to metformin, there seemed to be a slightly higher association, and that association continued to drop 
about as you might expect after the baby was born. So what type of effects they found? They found mostly genital birth defects. And in fact, they did look at the different organ systems involved and it did not seem that any other organ system was significantly affected except for genital birth defects. And they actually didn't go into too much detail about what that Im implied. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm not able to give you the specifics of what that exactly means. There wasn't a difference in, for example, cardiovascular defects and anything along those lines. So the authors had a very long discussion and, and kind of talked about this was an important study to do. And, and I, I absolutely agree with them that, you know, diabetes itself is associated with poor birth outcomes, especially when the mother has poor control and we have much less data in men. We want to look and see, gee, do diabetes drugs play a role in this? And so there is really no data on this previously. And so the people who receive diabetes drugs generally have a higher median glucose level than healthy persons. Maybe that alone is what's going on. They also note that metformin exposed us offering when they looked at them were generally older and generally had a lower socioeconomic status. And so one can say that even when they tried to adjust for, for this with, with their model, was that enough to, to account for that? And the authors say that's an absolute possibility that could be a strike against their study. So what they kind of walk away from in, in the study is that this is really, a, you know, the first large study that's ever really looked at exposure of anti-diabetic drugs in men before they have children and did find for only metformin an association with uh, increased risk of birth defects. As the authors point out, I think there are several issues with this. And again, points to the to one of the, the guidestones of reading studies that, you know, retrospective studies suggest association, they don't prove causation, right? And, you know, I think these guys did as good a job as they possibly could uh, trying to come up with, with a model that dealt with a lot of these confounders, but by their own admission, uh, when, when they actually ended up taking a look at a lot of this stuff, the bottom line was that they weren't able to account for all confounders. They did have missing data. Um, and that that the, the fact of the matter is the cohort of, of patients who were receiving metformin, the fathers who received metformin were older, had a lower socioeconomic status. Those two things in and of themselves might be the reason why they saw an increase in, in birth defects. And, and, and the authors say this as, as well. So what do you tell your patients about all this? Because again, this, this has really hit the, the lay media. And, and I think we need to tell patients is that, you know, there was one study that was published. It's Seen, it found in the study that there was about a 40% increase in uh, relative increase in the rates of birth defects in babies whose fathers took metformin for up to a year before conception. But what we also need to point out to them is that that 40% relative risk is still relatively low, right? It's still a, a it's still, it isn't, it isn't even a doubling of the numbers, but it is, it is there and it's something we need to think about. However, there's also many other factors in this trial that could explain that increase in, in birth defects. And we know that if the father just abandons his diabetes medications, he's in for lots of problems himself, not to mention the fact that, again, we know that, that poor diabetes control in and of itself is associated with, with major birth defects. We know that mostly in women, but even in men, we have some data that as well. So the answer is not to say, well, gee, you know, my wife and I are thinking of having a baby and I've been on, you know, metformin for, you know, two years for type 2 diabetes. I think I'm just going to stop taking metformin and not talk to my doctor about it. I don't think that's what's going on. I think that what this means is that I think like most uh, parents who have diabetes who are considering having children, I think having a, a serious conversation with, with your, your obstetrician about this and, and, and pointing out this study is certainly reasonable. And, you know, maybe the obstetrician can work with the primary care doctor to say, okay, well, maybe for this next year while you're trying to conceive, you know, if, if you're really that serious about it, maybe we should consider going to insulin for a year. Maybe we should consider going to, you know, sulfonylureas for a year. I'd probably lean toward insulin, but, um, you know, and, and you know, if, if you want to be absolutely, absolutely certain, but 
I think that clinician's job here is also to explain to patients who, you know, hear the screaming headline that formin causes birth defects saying, well, hold on a second. That's, you know, it doesn't cause, we can't say that. What we can say is there's an association and that by the author's uh, own uh, admission, that association may be, may, may be due to other factors, not just the metformin. So, you know, just abandoning metformin in, in, in uh, men who, are, uh, who have type 2 diabetes on metformin trying to, trying to have children is probably not the way to go. So that's kind of kind of how I, I came up with the study. So that's it for this uh, week, kind of kind of an interesting study. Uh, uh, we'll interested to see if, if more the, of these types of large database studies and men will be done. I mean, I think I totally agree with the authors that that it needs to be done. So because uh, there's very little on that. And, and as, as we have younger men being on more and more medications, it's something that we're really gonna have to think about. So see what happens with that. Thanks for listening to uh, Game Changers Clinical Conversations. We will see you next week. But until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care. Thanks for listening in. Claim your CE credit by clicking on the link in the show notes. And check out CE Impact's other education at ceimpact.com, where we curate the most important information in pharmacy and medicine to deliver straight to you. Join today to connect your learning to practice.